1: Come listen to What Chaos. We'll talk about your favorite team. We'll talk about your least favorite team and everybody in between. And we're having a ton of fun doing it every single day, Monday through Thursday. It's What Chaos, presented by All City Network. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time, Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
0: The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Mariska's and Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch Soap Company, and by Fry the Coop. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau, and
1: 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the
2: puck. Welcome into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Jay Zawoski with you here. Thanks for tuning in to this special division preview episode. We're in a very unique season. The 2021 NHL season gives the Hawks a brand new division and some new division rivals. We're going to preview uh, throughout the course of the next few days, Carolina, Columbus, Detroit, Florida, and Tampa. Is there someone I'm missing? No, that's it. Starting today with Carolina with my buddy and the pre and post game host of the Carolina Hurricanes, Alec Campbell. Then we'll preview the Red Wings with White Sox radio play-by-play man, Len Casper. He is a lifelong Red Wings fan. Before we get started, I want to tell you a little bit of info about the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Pod. Instagram, Madhouse underscore pod. Of course, we're on Facebook. Just search Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We have a merchandise shop, madhousepodmerch.com. That's powered by our friends at Triple Thread Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris, 708-478-6090 or email Chris at triplethreadsports.com. Check out our merch shop, madhousepodmerch.com. And for all things Madhouse Podcast, go to madhousepod.com. Without further ado, let's get to our interview with Carolina Hurricanes radio analyst, Alec Campbell. Joining me now on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is Alec Campbell. He is a pre- and post-game host for Carolina Hurricanes games on 99.9 The Fan in Raleigh. They are part of, obviously, the Carolina Hurricanes radio network. Alec, it is good to talk to you. By the way, follow Alec on Twitter at AlecCampbell5. It's good to catch up, man. It's been a long time since we've spoken. And uh, welcome to the Central Division. Or is it the, <laughs> or the central division brought you by discover
0: discover? Yeah, I saw that today. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be in the central division. Other than the fact that now we're going to have to, well, there's a trade-off here because the start times are going to be an hour later for me with the central division, but we're not playing West coast games, So I guess I will trade off the eight o'clock start times for no 10 o'clock and 10 30 start times on the West coast.
2: Yeah. That's a, that's a decent trade. I would say, you know, I'll take the eight o'clock because in Chicago, it's the eight o'clock games where we get the nine 30 it's 10 30 on the East coast. Way, way worse. Well, and um, like
0: for us, the way they usually do it is they do two big West coast swings, uh, like usually up through Canada and then down through California and into Arizona and stuff like that. And so usually two weeks out of my season, it's like a week's worth of, 10 10 30 starts which totally yeah, suck
2: that's rough that's that that's our, that's a rough way to do it but look uh carolina comes into the central as maybe in my opinion the favorite to win the division i know a lot of people have eyes on tampa um but they've got some big injury problems uh mm-hmm. and carolina has been one of the two better teams in the eastern conference the last two years and the crazy thing is you keep running into the boston bruins who are proving to be the best team in the in the Eastern conference a lot. Um, I'm looking at the projections for this year uh, on the athletic and some other places. And I think we often forget about the depth that the Carolina Hurricanes have. And I think part of that is that a lot of their best players are not household names. Everybody in Chicago loves Tavo Taravainen. We all miss him dearly. Probably no one more than me. But Sebastian Ajo is one of the best players in hockey. Andrei Sveshnikov, there's your top line. Dougie Hamilton is one of the most effective defenseman in the league. Uh, Jakob Slavin, his defensive partner, uh, is another borderline elite defenseman. This is a really, really good team. What are the expectations for the Hurricanes this year? Is it Stanley Cup or bust at this point?
0: I don't think we're quite to that point yet because I think we're still trying to figure out what a lot of these younger players are going to bring. Like, I think the Canes are banking on them stepping up. Cause they really didn't make a whole lot of, I mean, they're, they're essentially bringing back the same team. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably my one, that's one of my biggest concerns is that how are we supposed to expect something different when they're really bringing back the team that's gotten crushed by Boston the last two years in the playoffs, other than is Andre Sveshnikov going to take another step because he essentially doubled his production last year. Can Sebastian Aho continue to improve, you know, um, Ken Martin Natchez, and one of their their draft their first round draft pick from uh, two years ago or three years ago now, you know, is he going to take another step? So I think they're banking on a lot of these young guys to step up in lieu of inaction in the offseason, so to speak. Um, so I'm not sure it's necessarily Stanley Cup or bust. This team for me last year was always a playoff team. They were never a Stanley Cup team. So. If those guys do take big time leaps like we hope they do, then I think they got a real chance to make a run through the playoffs. Um, But I'm not going to be bold enough to say this is definitely a Stanley Cup team.
2: Well, if there is one thing, if you had to sort of pinpoint it, and look, when the Blackhawks were winning Stanley Cups and competing for Stanley Cups, the one thing they couldn't seem to solve was that second-line center, and they were able to piecemeal. Mm -hmm. with It was Brad Richards. It was Michael Hansus. They just sort of found guys as they could. What is that one thing that you think the Hurricanes could use to sort of get over the hump?
0: Man, I I actually think there are a lot of things that that there there are a lot of – I mean, I think they're a good team. Don't get Mm -hmm. me wrong. But I do think that there are three or four things that I'm a little bit concerned about. But if I had to pinpoint one major aspect of their game that they don't have, that is a pest mindset, a physical mindset. That's just not who they are. So I'm not necessarily expecting them to be that because that's they're, they're just not. Like I've seen enough of this team over the last couple of seasons, and there have been a couple of guys here and there that are come th- that have come through that give them a little bit more of a of a grit or a sandpaper, as they like to say in, in the league. But from an overall team standpoint, they don't have that. And ultimately, I think that's one of the main things that has beaten them in the playoffs from Boston. Not you know Marchand, Bergeron, and Pasternak, notwithstanding. Mm-hmm. I mean, those guys are obviously all Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers. Plus they got so many other great things. They got great goaltending and stuff like that, but there was a physical toll and there's a physical price that I think you have to pay to win Stanley cups in the NHL and the, the hurricanes frankly lack that aspect to their game.
2: Now, this is interesting that you bring this up because I think you're going to see coming into the central facing a lot of Western conference teams. It's a different style in the West and you know, I think Hawks fans like to look back on the original six days and some of the really physical rivalries they used to have, but there's not a lot of f- overly physical teams in the Western conference. Um, you look at East and it's Philly, Boston, you know, those are the teams that they're not just very talented. They're, they're big and physical and they're built to be that way. It's not so much that way in the Western conference. So I'm interested to see how that's going to affect the way Carolina plays in the regular season, because when I look at them, they remind me of a Western conference team. They mm-hmm. remind me sort of of Vancouver when the Hawks were winning Stanley cups, like that kind of a level of a team. And yeah, those guys had guys that were willing to play physically, but you wouldn't call them a physical team necessarily. Uh, and the yeah. Hawks were the same way. The Hawks were not physical at all when they were winning Stanley cups, just because the West, you know, it just sort of, it played that way a little bit. Um, it's going to be interesting for me to see Carolina jump into the West uh, it's it's not fully the West, obviously, but to have a more Western conference centric um, uh, schedule and I, I don't want to I know you probably don't want to insult Hawks fans, but it's got to be enticing to see two of the worst teams in hockey as part yeah. of the division here with Detroit and Chicago, yeah. because look with the Hawks, w- if Taze is healthy and, and Kirby Doc is healthy, we're talking about, OK, maybe if everything breaks right, they sniff a playoff spot. With Doc out for the year and without Taze for who knows how long, we're looking at lottery pick tor- sort of a team here. So you've got two of the of – I guess you'd call them speed bumps in, in the NHL in the div- in the Discover Card Central Division. I'm just going to do that to annoy my listeners all <laughs> season long. I can't wait. Yeah,
0: I mean, <laughs> listen, like I, I don't um, – if that's the case, then, then the Hurricanes stand a, a really good chance because the way they like to play is – very aggressive, very fast. They create a ton of great chances. They they were one of the league's best teams in terms of creating high danger chances last year. The problem was they were also one of the league's best teams at allowing high danger chances too. So if that's the way that the game's going to be played over there, then they've got a great chance. They, they, they would have a great chance, I think, even playing in mm-hmm. the East with all these other teams too just because of the skill level that they have. But the problem with them is that when they do run up against those teams and they can't get out to a lead, they can't finish regularly, which has, which has been a thing that has bit them in the past, they run into these teams like the Islanders. You know, even the um, – um, Washington plays a similar game. I actually like their matchup against Washington most, most of the time. But those grinded-out teams that stand them up at the blue line, possess the puck inside their own zone for a long time, uh, the Canes don't play well against those teams. So if we're talking about a fast paced up and down pond hockey esque style game over there, then the, the Canes fit right in. I mean, that's just, that's the way they like to play. And again, if Svechnikov and Aho and Tara and Natchez and some of these other guys who didn't have great seasons last year, step up, you know, you get a full season of Dougie Hamilton, who was at least in the eyes of um, the people here, uh, the Norris Trophy winner last year before he went down, um, <clears throat> you know, then they're going to score a bunch of goals. So that's you're going to have to keep up with the Hurricanes. So we'll see if we'll see if they can do that. I mentioned the physicality. The goaltending is always an issue here as well, just because of the number of big time mm-hmm. grade A's that the Hurricanes tend to give up. And it's not like the Hurricanes have incredible goaltenders. They roll goaltending by tandem. They have for the last couple of seasons you get league average goaltending essentially from Peter Morozik and James Reimer. So if defensively they can be better and not put their goaltenders under so much pressure night in and night out, they'll have a better chance. I'm just, again, not sure that that's their game.
2: All right. One player to watch uh, for the hurricanes this year. Who, who are you keeping an eye on in terms of young players or prospects?
0: Um, cu- a couple. So I, I, I mean, I think Andre spechnikoff is special. I'm not sure that he's that um that much of a mystery anymore for people, but
2: yeah, because I mean, of the just, goal, the Michigan goal has gotten some exposure, but he's such a good player aside from that.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. He's yeah. he's a really physical player, Jay. Like he rookie year, it was like he didn't know who he was playing because he went right at guys. I mean, he went right at he's got a like hardline drive the net mentality. He's, he's a little bit of an instigator, which I like. He's one of the few guys on the team that'll mix it up with people. And he's done that the day he stepped on the ice in the NHL. Um, you know, you'll remember him getting in a fight with Alex Ovechkin in the yeah. playoffs a couple of years ago, which was dumb, but that's the way the kid is. I mean, he, he just doesn't care. Like, it's like, he doesn't know who he's going up against. Right. Um, but, He's such a marquee player that he's the he's the franchise star, man. So I got my eyes on him. I'm interested to see what steps Martin Natchez takes once again because I do think that second line is going to be an interesting situation. Like, outside of the TSA line, I'm not sure what they got forward-wise. I mean, down the middle, it's Ajo, Trocek, who's had a couple of weird years, got traded last year to, to Carolina and didn't really catch on. I mean, he sort of did in the playoffs a little bit, but, you know, it, it, that's been a kind of a weird experience so far. You know, Ryan Dezingle played a lot on the second line last year and gave, gave the Canes almost nothing. Nino Niederreiter played a lot on the second line, gave the Canes almost nothing. Um, then you've got Jordan Stahl, who's on the back nine, let's just say, playing third-line center. We don't know who's going to play – I mean, we think it's going to be Morgan Geeky who plays fourth-line center who came up and played with the Canes uh, for the last little bit of the regular season. I think he scored in, like, every game he played. He played, like, the last three regular season's games they played and scored in every game and was okay in the bubble but not great. Um, so, I mean, I know I just said a lot there, but I would say Svechnikov, number one, Natchez, I want to see how, how far he's come along. Jake Bean's a guy who's got a chance to play uh, on the third defensive pair if he has a good camp. Um, he's a guy who's been one of their highest – he's their best prospect, uh, hasn't, has played maybe two, three games in the NHL, um, but is essentially ready. I mean, he's ready to be an nhl It's just a matter of finding him a spot. So I'm curious to see if he does catch time in the third pair – and how well he
2: does all right before we let you go I do want to focus a little bit on Tavo Teravainen who um was a prospect for the Blackhawks that I immediately loved I just loved everything about his game I have a strange affinity for the Finns I always have um what has watching his evolution been like uh for you in Carolina because I think he came to Carolina uh, as a really good player but an unfinished product uh what have you seen what has grown most from his game in your mind. And I think another aspect of it is off the ice a little bit when he was here, incredibly shy, incredibly yeah. soft-spoken. How has, uh, how has Tara and the player and the man grown since coming to Carolina?
0: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I still wouldn't say that he is the most gregarious of humans in the locker room <laughs> yeah. or the most outspoken dude. You know, he, that's just not how he rolls. I do think there's a comfort level that he has in the locker room with the other fins. I mean, there's been a ton of them that have come through here. Sebastian Ajo is probably his best friend on the team. They hang out a lot. Um, but in terms of on the ice, I would say it's his defensive game. That was the one thing that Rod Brendelboer knew he needed to fix – um, and so he threw Tabo Taravina out on a penalty kill. He and Aho two seasons ago, and we're just like, listen, if I can't get you to do it in even strength situations, I'm going to force you to learn how to play defense on the penalty kill. And he and Aho have become incredible defensive forwards, um, which is a big time staple if you play for Rob Bryndamore. Knowing who Rob Brindamore was, a couple times Selkie winner, blah blah blah, one of the hardest working guys in the league you know, workhorse type dude. So he expects those guys to play better defense. Like he never, I think the, the offensive skill for, for, uh, for Tara and was always there. So it was never Rod's thought that I'm going to try to fix what this guy does. Cause he's a wizard with the puck. Right. I think one of the other things he doesn't, he, he tends to, I mean, all those fins are all pass first players, first yes. of all. He overpasses the puck a lot of times when he could shoot more. He plays on a great line with Aho and Spechikov most of the time, unless Brendamore feels like he needs to balance them out a little bit. Um, but they are going to be a top-notch line whenever they've played together. Anytime it's a, you know, things are not going right, it's TSA once again <laughs> for a few games, get things going. And then Rod might split them up a little bit. Um, to try to get other guys going. But um, I would say his defensive game is probably the biggest evolution. But, yeah, man, he's he's a perfect complement for those other two dudes as well because he's not looking to score all the time. Again, sometimes there are times when he should and doesn't. But for Aho and Sveshnikov, I mean, they get so many great looks because they play on a line with Tebow Teravinen.
2: Earlier on you mentioned the Carolina Hurricanes need for some grit. Um, if you have a direct line to Don Waddell, just let him know Andrew Shaw and Brent Seabrook are available.
0: <laughs> no, we don't. We're good. We're good on Seabrook. Um, I, and I love Seabrook. Like I'm not even. I'm not even knocking the guy, man. I've, you know, my time in Chicago, he was amazing. Yeah. Right. Uh, I went. I think I went to two games where he scored game winners in overtime. Um, so I love Brent Seabrook, but we're good on that. Um, you know, and we had like a couple years ago, we had Michael Furland around but he was essentially a concussion waiting to happen. Like that guy was just, he was trying to get himself a concussion every time. And that was cool, but you know, all really right. What it is.
2: Well, I know, you know, you're getting annoyed with Tavo passing all the time. So if you need to, if you need to wash shoot, your hands, Tevo, number 86, shoot. yeah, if you need to wash your hands of 86, we got a we got a spot for him. <laughs> Alec Campbell from 99, the fan and Raleigh. He is the host of the hurricanes pre and post game show. Thanks for joining us here on the Madhouse podcast. All right. Thanks, Jay. Hope that all made some kind of sense. I guess. Thanks to Carolina Hurricanes pre- and post-game host Alec Campbell for joining us on the Madhouse Podcast. Up next, you will hear all about the 2021 Detroit Red Wings from White Sox radio play-by-play man Len Casper. He is a lifelong Red Wings fan and a friend of the show, so whenever we have an excuse to talk Red Wings, well, we call up Len. I think you'll enjoy the interview. Stay tuned to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Manhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Fry the Coop and FrytheCoop.com. Locations in Oaklawn, Elmhurst, Westtown, and coming soon to Prospect Heights. Go try some of the best Nashville hot chicken, not only in Chicagoland, but on the planet. Get yourself the chicken tenders, the donut chicken sandwich, the mac and cheese. Everything you taste at Fry the Coop is fresh. Everything you taste at Fry the Coop is amazing. The best hot chicken i've ever had and i am a connoisseur so go visit our friends in oakland elmhurst west town and coming soon to prospect heights come get your happiness at fry the coop place your order online at frythecoop.com and grab your food from the pickup window it's safe it's easy it's fast fry the coop frythecoop.com The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. Dr. Squatch is an all-natural, handmade-in-the-USA soap, hair care, cologne, beard oil, just general wellness company. You're going to want to check out drsquatch.com at the top right corner of the page there. You'll take that Squatch quiz. Once you're ready to check out, enter that promo code MADHOUSE20 and you'll save 20% on your order and help the podcast at the same time. What do we recommend? Well, that's very easy. My favorite is the Cool Fresh Aloe Soap. The Cold Brew Cleanse has become a favorite as well. The Pine Tower is the flagship soap for Dr. Squatch, but really that Squatch quiz will tell you everything you need to know about joining us here at Squatch Nation. Get yourself some thick bricks at DrSquatch.com and don't forget that Promo code MADHOUSE20. Welcome back to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Jay Zawoski with you here. Earlier this week, we had the opportunity to interview White Sox radio broadcaster Len Casper, lifelong Red Wings fan. No one better to give us a scouting report on the 2021 Detroit Red Wings than Len. Sit back and enjoy. I think you'll like this interview with Len Casper. Our guest on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is Chicago White Sox radio broadcaster, it's the first time I've said that out loud, Len Casper. Len, thank you for joining us for our Detroit Red Wings preview. For those that don't know, Len is a lifelong Red Wings fan and Detroit sports fan. Uh, so you were the first guy I thought of for our Red Wings preview. Welcome.
3: Hey, guys. Uh, good to be with you. And I'm, I'm really excited about the season starting. Finally, uh, you know, when the baseball season ends, there's kind of a rhythm to my offseason, And it's right when the NHL season starts. And to be without uh, hockey the last uh, couple of months has been uh, difficult. And I know we're going to talk about this division and and the Red Wings and Blackhawks together uh, once again, at least temporarily. But my my big takeaway uh, in terms of the realignment is the All-Canada division. I think that's really cool. Uh, I'm a big hockey night in Canada watcher on Saturday night. And the fact that it will basically be that every night of the week, uh, I think is really neat.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty excited about the realignment too. And for obvious reasons, getting Detroit back in the division was huge. James and I talk about it all the time in the podcast where I grew up just loathing the Red Wings. I've grown fond of them. Cause I miss them. I miss playing against them all the time and I miss having the hatred. And I know it won't quite be the same because neither team's really a contender, but it'll be nice at least for one year to have Detroit back in the division. It's it's going to be awesome. And uh, just to have some different opponents is fun.
3: Well, I think the, the biggest reason Blackhawk fans probably miss the Red Wings is the Red Wings have been pretty bad <laughs> the last few years. Uh, really, since they moved to the East, I know they had a, a couple quick uh, one and dones with uh, the Lightning. Uh, but really, since then, uh, they've been in a major rebuild. And I think now that Steve Eiserman is running the show, everybody feels really good about that rebuild. But You know, they haven't gotten a lot of luck in
1: terms of their draft position, and uh, it's still going to take them a few years, I think. I was going to ask you if there was any bitterness that they had kind of gotten that horrible record and then gotten stuck with, like, the fourth pick. I was just going to ask you if you had any bitterness toward the NHL and kind of screwing the Red Wings over, it seemed like. You know, James, I think
3: it's just – it is the luck of the draw, and, you know, at the end of the day, you can't really count on a lottery to – uh, improve your your team. you just have to be really smart about it. And if you think about a lot of the the picks they've made over the years, uh, going back to the Ken Holland days and especially the guys from Europe, uh, these were you know diamonds in the rough. you know you think of really Datsuk and zetterberg, uh, just to name two. Uh, these were not you know top five in the first round draft picks. these were guys who were passed on. Uh, I do think their foray into uh, Russia uh, back in the nineties helped a lot uh, and created a culture that was open to different styles of play. Um, But they're going to need a couple more guys like that. Um, You know, based on what I've seen and what I've heard and, and read, you know, they like a lot of the young players who may make their debut this year, but they don't really have, it looks to me at this point, they don't have a Patrick Kane or, a Jonathan Taves or a Steve Eiserman in their system, they're probably still going to need to draft somebody like that.
2: I, Dylan Larkin was on that radar for a little while. And I wonder if with a little more talent around him, do you think he could take that next step or have we sort of seen what Dylan Larkin's going to be, which would be super elite, number two center, probably repra- replacement level, first line center, you know, or a forward, uh, does, is there more for Dylan Larkin and I'm sure he, everyone benefits from better players around him, but is he kind of maxed out in your mind. That's a great
3: question. Um, I, I think that your analysis is probably right. Kind of elite number two center. Um, he's been their top center just by default. Uh, I, I like, you know, the, the, uh, Steve Eisenman said they are going to name a captain this year, which they haven't had, uh, since Zetterberg retired. Uh, my guess is it would be Larkin. Um, but, you know, he's a guy you can build around, but I do think that when this team is in its window, its next window, he probably can't be your best player. You know, he's probably yeah. your, maybe your heart and soul, one of your, you know, one of your best players and, and kind of the spiritual leader of the group. But you probably need to have maybe a couple of guys who are just a little more talented. Um, and, and you know, I look, we always bring it back to Taves and Kane. Right. And, and I think we would say Kane's probably a more talented player. He's more of a skillful player. Uh, Taves to me is, is, is Iserman. You know, he's the hall of fame Iserman type player. I put Larkin more in the Taves camp, but probably doesn't have the skill at his level. But I think what he brings to the table in terms of the intangibles is very similar.
1: And obviously, it's really important to kind of, sur- like you had mentioned, surrounding the younger players on the team with talented veterans. And obviously, they've gone into the offseason, and they've done that with several of their big acquisitions. They were active in going out and getting Mark Stahl. They got John Merrill. Both of those guys they're hoping will boost their defense. As a fan and an observer of the team, what does that mean to you that they were active in going out not only in free agency but also in trades to add those veteran guys to maybe provide some mentorship for the younger guys that are coming up?
3: Well, I think it says a couple things. Number one, they had a lot of holes to fill. Um, I think they had a lot of players uh, kind of fill spots last year who probably weren't NHL caliber players. And that's why the record was as bad as it was. Um, to me, the biggest issue for this team, if you go back to kind of the end of their last run is their defensive core just has not been good. Um, you know, they haven't drafted particularly well there and um, I I want to say Stuart, Lidstrom, Rafalski. I mean, those are three <laughs> pretty elite guys and they lost them all like within two years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Stuart went back, I think, to the West coast and then Rafalski retired, Lidstrom retired. And, and they just, they have not been able to recover from that. Uh, Danny DeKaiser got hurt last year and I think has a chance to still be a, a very good, uh, NHL defenseman. I'm not sure he's a a, a top pair. Maybe uh, maybe a three or a four uh, in that second pairing. Uh, but they like him a lot, and I, and I do think having uh, Mark Stahl and just you know a couple of guys who have some experience in the league will be very beneficial to this whole
2: group. It's that fine balance of, and the Hawks are sort of in the same boat of this we're trying to rebuild, but we also don't want to be just horrible and lose every game. And it's that balance of what's the value of bringing in. Like when I saw the, the wing sign, Bobby Ryan, I was like, what what are they going to do with Bobby Ryan? They're nowhere close to winning. But like James mentioned, I saw Steve Eiserman mention this too. The leadership role is something that's valued. And Iserman has that, um, that's that reputation where, well, if he says it, it's true (laughs) because I think he's the best GM in the league. A lot of people do. Um, as a fan, well, what was your thought when you saw that move? And do you sort of agree with the importance of having veteran leaders on there? Like, is, is that truly beneficial? I guess it's a question.
3: Well, I mean, my guess would be it's creating a culture and I think yeah. it's easier to do that with guys who, you know, will bring a good attitude uh, into the, the dressing room. Um, you know, I, whether Bobby Ryan or Mark Stahl, or really even Robbie Fabry, who uh, came over in a, uh, you know, from the Blues last year. You know, whether those guys are going to be here when this team is really good or not, um, you don't know. But, hey, uh, the bottom line is you do have to have some people to teach the young kids how to behave and how to act. And, you know, all of that should not fall on Dylan Larkin. I mean, the, pro- the problem is, and in-, in the case of Taves and Kane and go back to Iserman, and, and, and those examples, well, these were really special people who could not only be great at their job, but could elevate everybody else. And, and I would definitely say Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook were a part of this. Um, but it's a lot, I think, to put on a, a young player or two like a Larkin or a Tyler Bertuzzi to say, go out and be an, all, be an all-star and also make everybody around you better. Uh, that, that's really, really hard to do. And I think yeah. having a couple of veteran Uh, guys in there who have been to the playoffs. They've kind of accomplished a lot of things individually and their job is just come in here. And if at the end of the year, all these kids around you are better, you've done your job. And I think that's why they made those moves and they had money to spend. So you got to spend it on somebody and, and, and they were so bad. Um, Yeah. I think that they just, you can't lose to, to that degree for four or five straight years. You don't want Dylan Larkin to be in a, in an environment where all he does is lose at some point you have to have a little success.
1: I love your comments on uh, team makeup and just the importance of having that chemistry. And I, I know the Blackhawks fans obviously have not really been able to follow that as closely as they'd probably like to, based on the fact that they've only been playing the Red Wings two times a season. So Len, I would like to kind of get your take beyond Dylan Larkin, who are some of the other guys on the Red Wings roster who you think Blackhawks fans may not have kind of been able to notice in the limited interactions between the two teams and who's kind of like stood out to you and should be somebody on the radar of Blackhawks fans as the two teams begin playing again?
3: Well, for me, the most intriguing guy on the roster is Anthony Mantha. Um, You know, he's, he's an enormous guy. I mean, he's, he's, he's probably way bigger than Bob Probert was back in the day. Um, But, you know, he's a guy who has suffered a lot of really freaky injuries and fights And they have, I mean, it's literally like two fights a year and he breaks his hand in one of those fights, misses six weeks, season gets derailed, the whole deal. But he's got great hands. Um, I think before he got to the National League, he was viewed as a bit of an underachiever. And there were questions about uh, his ability to work. Um, Those questions seemingly have been answered. And I think at his best, he is absolutely a, a top line wing. Um, so, uh, you know, Mantha is, is a name where all of a sudden you could see 35 or 40 goals from him if he is really, really good. Um, so that's kind of the, the number one guy. And, and the other guy I'm interested in is Dennis Cholosky, who uh, really took a step back last year. He's a defenseman who two years ago, I think, made his debut and um, was very intriguing. Um, you know, it, it's a little like the Cubs conversations we had that not all progress is linear. Some guys take a step up and then a step back. Uh, but Chelaski is a, a defenseman who I think has a lot of potential to to be here for a long time and uh, and we'll see and then uh, Philip Zadina is kind of the uh, the young offensive uh, player who they expect to score a lot of goals. Uh, this will be the year where he gets to play basically every night and uh, they're just gonna kind of i think, you know, whatever leash is on him, they're just going to say, go out and play your minutes and uh, do what you can. So uh, Zadina and Manta up front and uh, Chalosky, if he makes the club, you know, he could be one of those uh, taxi squad guys who's got to earn his way onto the active roster. I know that's one thing Jeff Blashill talks a lot about uh, their coach is that you've got to earn, uh, you know, for these, these, these bubble guys. They don't just get opportunities because they're young they get opportunities because they've had good practices and they get rewarded by playing that night. And I think that's the other way you create a good culture.
2: Yeah, that's a great way to do it for sure. And I'm I, I'm hoping the Hawks will be implementing a similar uh, process with their young players. Uh, Zadina is something I wanted to talk to you about because I remember when he was picked six overall in 2018, the coverage went crazy. This is a steal. This could be the pick of the draft, all these sort of things. And you and I, we text about hockey all the time. And I texted you a few times about Zadina, and you've always kind of been like, eh, kind of lukewarm on him. I know his debut year was a disaster last year came on strong before the stoppage. And you just said, this is really his year to shine. Do you foresee him sort of implanted in maybe the top line or, or it's gotta be the top six at least. Right.
3: Yeah. I would say probably the uh, second line to start. Uh, it's a good question. I I, I don't know. I, I, I will say that, the flashes and the great moments. Like if you did a a highlight package, you would be absolutely blown away. I mean, his goals are more spectacular than anybody uh, else on the roster. Um, but it's about consistency. That's huge at this level, uh, playing at both ends, you know, all the things coaches say all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think he will uh, get an opportunity to shine here. And, um, That's the other thing guys is when you're on a really bad team, you know, if you put Zadina on the lightning, you might say to yourself, I mean, this guy's a keeper, you Mm -hmm. know, he's going to score 33 goals just because he's playing with a great team. And you're just like, this is one of the best young players in the league. Sometimes you have to make your own way and your own opportunities when you're on a really bad team. And, you know, I think we have to always remember that. And that's why the talent evaluators like Steve Eiserman and Stan Bowman, like they, They have to take all those things into consideration and, you know, give maybe a guy who's had a bad year statistically a little more credit because of his surroundings, or maybe in the case of a really good team, over-evaluating a young player who's in a system that works to make sure you don't overrate that guy.
1: I do want to ask you, Len, I know that it's only going to be, I believe, his second season at the helm, but how would you kind of evaluate, just based on what we've seen so far, the job that Steve Eiserman has done in his return to the Red Wings and kind of overseeing the ship and kind of trying to redirect the way that the franchise is going?
3: Well, it's tough for me in one way, because he was my favorite player growing up. And uh, so I, um, you know, he can walk on water as far as I'm concerned, but <laughs> um, but Jay said it earlier, so he's already broken the ice. I think he's uh, as good an executive as, as you could ever ask for. And the fact that he's back uh, with the, the, the team he belongs with is is really neat. Uh, I think he's attacked this a lot like Theo Epstein did. I think he realized this is not going to be easy. Uh, it's going to be pretty painful here for a while. Uh, the team the Red Wings had last year before uh, the, the pandemic ended their season Uh, It was the worst season I've seen since at least 85, 86. And that team last year may have actually been worse, which is kind of hard to contemplate. I mean, we might be going back to the late 1970s and and just how pitiful the Red Wings uh, were at that time. But I think he's been pretty transparent about it. Um, You know, the inside scoop that I get from people there is that they are far from a playoff team again this year, but they will be markedly better than they were last year. And that's going back to the draft order thing. Uh, I don't have their record. Do you guys have their record? It was like 17 and 40. I mean, they finished like 20 points behind the entire league last year. And I think that's where the disappointment comes in. Uh, When you get the fourth pick, you were that bad and that's all you could muster. And I think because of that, you know, if you're 25 points better and you still don't make it, you still might get the third or second pick. So, What's the difference?
2: I don't have the record here, but had it been an 82 game season, the Red Wings would have been on pace for 45 points. I mean (laughs) that—that's that reaction says it all. (laughs) That's almost impossible. Like it's almost it's almost hard to be that bad of a of a pro franchise. So yeah, I, I just reading some of the season previews. I've been reading to catch up before the interview. Everyone does expect a pretty decent jump. Uh, and look, you get to play the Hawks a bunch of times this year. So that's going to (laughs) help.
3: Yeah. And the other one, and I would ask you guys, you're, you're more, um, you're more of a hockey expert than I am, but, um, they also do not have that any that I know of that they do not have a blue chip young goaltender and you might not need that. You could usually go out and maybe trade for somebody or sign somebody. Um, and I don't know how important that is, you know, moving, moving forward, but they're going to have Bernier and Grice, uh, I would imagine they would generally split uh, time this year. Uh, I thought Jimmy Howard got put in a really bad spot last year just because the team in front of him uh, was really bad. Um, but, you know, we never talk about goalies when teams are bad anyway. And, uh, you know, I thought Bernier was pretty good last year, and Grice is, is decent. Um, but, you know, as far as I know, there, there's no you know 19-year-old or 20-year-old kid who, you know, is the top prospect in the league in terms of goaltenders.
2: You know, what I don't see a, a goalie in our top five prospects, but a name we failed to mention uh, is Moritz, Moritz Sider, the number six pick in the 2019 draft. A lot of people projecting he might arrive this year, 6'4, 203. Uh, have you had any uh, exposure to him at all yet?
3: I haven't. Um, you know, I remember when that happened, um, there were some people who were surprised. And, you know, without knowing Steve Eiserman and talking to him about his philosophy, um, I, I do appreciate that he kind of has his own way in terms of, I'm not just going to take the next guy on everybody's board. Uh, and I think when you're in their position, you know, every once in a while, especially high in the draft, you might need to, to, to take a little bit of a risk here and there. And nobody quite knows, you know, who the superstar players are going to be. And I'm sure we could come up with a long list of, you know, the ninth overall pick being a, a hall of famer and the seventh overall pick playing 40 games and, you know, fizzling out. So, um, yeah, I'm really intrigued to see how this goes. And there'll probably be a few names that I haven't even heard
1: of who end up uh, contributing to this team. And that's the fun of it. Well, I guess if you're looking for comfort on the Red Wings, I do think that adding Grice was really important. But I also think equally important was adding Mark Stahl and John Merrill. I felt like adding those two guys – adding defensemen will generally make a goaltender look better. And especially when you're looking at kind of veteran guys who have a history of success in the NHL, Uh, obviously Merrill with the golden Knights and Mark Stahl with his years with the Rangers. I think that that's really, that's going to be important. So I don't think you need like comforting from me, Len about like where the red wings are at, but those two guys, especially those additions, I do think that those were really smart by the red wings. And like I said, I do think they'll make, They'll make any goaltender they put back there look better, I think. That'll be really important for them.
3: Two other quick points here that uh, I forgot to mention. Um, probably my favorite player on the Red Wings currently is Luke Glen Denning. Um, if, if people aren't familiar with him, uh, I would argue pretty vociferously that any all-star fourth line would have to have Glenn Denning on it. Uh, he's one of the best defensive players. Forwards in the league, he's a great face-off guy, uh, and again, really good in the room. Um, I'm a little surprised that there either wasn't a market for him the last couple of years, or if it just simply was that the Red Wings, you know, realized they're not paying him a lot, and he he brings such a, a great value. But Luke Clendenning is a is a name to remember, maybe near the trade deadline. That you know, a team that's kind of missing that last piece as a penalty killer. Uh, he would be really intriguing. And the other thing is, I, I got a, a note, and uh, the name escapes me, but uh, I know, Jay, you'll know the defenseman the Blackhawks got in the uh, Perlini deal from the Red Wings.
2: I like uh, probably,
3: yeah, yep. never probably going to be a top two or four uh, defenseman, but uh, definitely an NHL player, good depth guy, and probably one of those moves that every general manager makes and they're not quite sure what they have because they haven't seen their guys play enough. So I think that's one of those early Iserman deals that if he had to make that this year or next year, having watched him play, probably would not have made that deal.
2: Yeah, Ragula seems to be a guy who's got an outside chance of uh, maybe sneaking up and being, you know, six or seven, maybe eight on this team. So that's that's an eye Hawks fans will keep on, a guy the Hawks, will keep, Hawks fans will keep an eye on all year too. So. Hopefully they don't
1: keep playing him with Nick Sealer, Jay.
2: No, that would be bad. We do not want that to happen. Well, Len, I uh, want to take a moment here to officially congratulate you on the new gig. As a Cub fan, it was uh, tough to see you go, um, but the White Sox are going to get an awesome broadcaster. I know it's been a lifelong dream for you to do radio, um, and I know people don't believe that still, <laughs> no matter how many times you say it, Len, you're like, nah, it's crap. He hates Marquee. That's what it was. Uh, so no, but it's great for you to to chase that dream, and it's inspiring so congrats, and uh, we'll miss you. But I'm excited about Boog Shambi. It's going to be great. Yeah, Boog's uh, one of my best friends. He'll be great with J.D. Cubs fans are
3: lucky, and uh, I'm I'm r- really excited about uh, my new challenge. And I uh, just hope we get started somewhat on time. And uh, But I'll be uh, keeping one eye
1: on uh, all the NHL action as we go, as you know.
2: Yes, I will right, yeah, we'll definitely be looking forward
1: to seeing that on uh, Twitter from you, Len, uh, following along with the NHL season. And I know you're fired up to get it started in a week so that this winter feels a little bit more normal, I guess, than it has up until this point.
3: Yeah, and if you guys haven't been to a Little Caesars Arena, this would not be the year to go, but um, <laughs> make sure you get there. They really did it right. Uh, I was uh, I was prescient in uh, getting Jay to a, a Leafs-Wings Saturday night game uh, ended up being a fun overtime game. And we went over to Chelly's uh, old bar. Didn't we? Uh, after we the went game, to,
2: no, we went to Dino Cicerelli's Dino's. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And watch Notre Dame lose.
1: <laughs> of course, that's the not thing a, that stands out to you. Not that you remember. <laughs> not
2: that I remember. <laughs> not that I remember that one painfully. No, but that boy, the, the Joe was such a like, wow. When you took me up to the press box and literally the hallway is <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cinder blocks. I have to walk sideways through it as a fat guy. And I'm walking on like XLR cables tracked through the hallway. There's so little room and there's cameras through holes in a wall. It was, it was pretty shocking to see how far behind the times Joe was, but I'm so glad I got to see it because I would not had you not invited me. So thank you. And, uh, my new thing now that as soon as this pandemic is over, I'm going to travel like crazy. I'm done talking myself out of stuff. I'm going to go see some buildings, go to some games because what else am I doing? Right. That's what life's all about.
3: Well, uh, James, Jay actually was on the Red Wings network. He uh, was, I believe, the uh, second intermission guest yes. uh, that night. Wow. And the other thing you guys really need to do, if you haven't, have you done an all Canada Saturday night trip? I've, no, I've always I have been not. Used... It's
1: it's on my. It was on my list to do last year, and then the whole like COVID thing happened. But it is definitely on the list.
3: I've done Leafs, Canadians with my wife. That was an overtime game, amazing in Montreal with the snow falling. Uh, I really want to do Flames, Oilers on a Saturday night. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a blast. I think it's easy for me to do a Red Wings, Canucks, or you guys to do a Blackhawks, Jets. But I really think there's something special about. A Saturday night hockey night in Canada and the big Canadian-Canadian matchup. So um, maybe we'll do that road trip. Maybe the three of us will uh, we'll do the Battle of Alberta one of
1: these days. Oh, I'm available. I'm, I'm so sold for that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's definitely on the list, Len. Good call on that.
2: I've been to uh, Toronto for a Hawks-Toronto game. That was one of the good games Theo Fleury had as a Blackhawk. <laughs> It's like one of the two. All right, Len, we won't take up any more of your time. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Greatly appreciate it all the time. Thank you. Thanks, fellas. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is made possible by our friends at Mariska's in Crest Hill, 604 Theodore Street. Their family owned and operated since 1933. You've heard us talking about Mariska's since day one of the Madhouse Podcast, and with good reason, some of the best food you will ever have. Go visit our friends in Crest Hill. Try the world-famous poor boy. The steaks, the chops, the seafood, the double-baked potato, the mountain of onion rings. Everything you taste at Mariska's will have you coming back again again and again visit their website marishkas.com or their facebook page facebook.com slash marishkas that's m-e-r-i-c-h-k-a-s close only on christmas easter the 4th of july and thanksgiving go visit our friends at marishkas in crest hill that's going to do it for this episode of the madhouse chicago hockey podcast thanks for tuning in i greatly appreciate it Episode one of our season previews is in the books. I hope you enjoyed that. We've got two more episodes coming out. Monday, look for our interview with George Richards, who covers the Florida Panthers, and our old friend Brian Hedger, who now covers the Columbus Blue Jackets. Then our final preview will air on Tuesday. Ahead of the opening game on Wednesday, we'll talk Tampa Bay Lightning with Kaylee Chelios. Does that name sound familiar? You're right, it does. She is the daughter of Blackhawks legend Chris Chelios. We'll preview Hawks and Lightning with her on Tuesday to get you nice and ready for Wednesday's game. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The puck drops next week. We'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening. Take care and have a great weekend.
0: The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marischka's and Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch, and by Fry the Coop.